BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined today by my good buddy, John Daigle from 444 and Betsperts. And um, if you guys don't follow at NotJDaigle, you've been missing out on a lot of good FUD. Just every guy who looks good in training camp, you know, Daigle can't wait to tell you why he sucks. Or every guy who's bad, <laughs> Daigle can't wait to tell you why you shouldn't adjust your priors at all. So we are we are here, and we're just going to go through some training camp news, and and Daigle is going to tell us uh, why we're stupid for believing the news. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. I feel like even nowadays, I don't mean to, but like last night there was a reel of Dwayne McBride, who I'm very high on. I love Dwayne McBride, but it was a reel of him catching a ball out of the backfield. And so I just simply tweeted, that's how many receptions he had in college. He, of course, a little bit of hyperbole. He had five catches in college to give him credit. He led the nation in carries of 10 plus yards. He's a walking explosion waiting to happen. And given that UAB offense, that doesn't mean he can't catch passes. But we're having a little fun right now since everyone, of course, as we do this shit every year, and just like late round tight ends, right? I just yet again can't believe we do it year after year and we don't learn our lessons that this doesn't matter. The only way it matters is that if you are taking the information that everyone is giving you and then putting it back against them, which means like as much as I like Calvin Ridley, he's still basically two years removed since we've last seen him play football. We're all using that same stint of games, uh, a month long stretch where he did lead the team in targets 20 yards downfield, led the league in targets 20 yards downfield during that stretch actually. But the fact that he looks fast, that pads on compared to Zay Jones, that should be the least shocking thing we've ever heard. And so it's just funny to see yet again, we're all doing this again, Davis. We are doing it all again. That's actually what I wanted to start with because I wanted to start with Ridley because I think there's two things going on. The first is, um, I mean, obviously it is literally one training camp clip where he looked really good uh, running a route right after Zay Jones. But I think the other thing is, that range of the draft, that two, three turn. So after T Higgins goes and after Mm -hmm. Tony Pollard and Derrick Henry go, you get the quarterbacks there, you get Mark Andrews there. And then a bunch of wide receivers who sort of all project the same or, or project their medians are hard to understand. Right. So I think that's true of Debo. His median could just be anything Ridley. We really don't know. No one's really that excited to take Amari Cooper. No one's really that excited. There are real questions about Christian Watson's role. So I think the market was just waiting to have a reason to start clicking guys there, especially mm-hmm. if you don't uh, like Hertz is a hard click there. 
if you don't have Devonta or AJ Brown, it's kind of weird to click Mark Andrews there. If you don't have Jalen Waddle or Tyreek Hill, because you're not going to get Lamar with him back in the fourth round and Tua is impossible to backstack. So what do you think is playing larger? Do you think it is that the, you know, we just needed some reason or is it literally a grainy way too zoomed in training clip of Calvin Ridley running a really good route? Like you, I have Calvin Ridley pretty much in the same tier as probably everyone else does with Debo Samuel, DK, T Higgins, even Amari Cooper, Christian Watson, those guys. Um, and what's happening right now in drafts, because again, if we are trying to use the information, useless information against everyone, then we should just be taking the, taking the dips on running backs and understanding that, again, since those wide receivers, Calvin Ridley included, are just the same guys, how about we just wait it out? Let's just wait it out and see if we still get someone from that tier, like a, like a Jerry Judy or a Drake London. I'm willing to take my chance on that. Christian Watson still comes back sometimes too. I'll wait for that. And so to... So to me, since we have them in the same tier, and the only reason they would increase with that tier because of one clip we saw about Calvin Ridley uh, looking fast without pads on, that gives us the reason to then take the dips on Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall, Ramondre Stevenson, guys that I was looking to fade, but you can't really fade as third-round picks. JT hasn't gotten there yet, but we're definitely headed in that direction the closer we get to September. I've I've but, taken him at the 301 twice already on a okay. Justin Jefferson team. It's happening. And yeah. Yeah. It's happening. Now Corain was a little bit less uh into that idea than I was. And and both he and Sam both said they would take Derrick Henry straight up over him if faced with that decision, which I think is defensible. Mm-hmm. My my counter logic to that was you're you're not gonna win the stupid million dollars anyways. And what really helps you win the dumb million dollars is getting Jonathan Taylor at a 10 pick discount to what his median projection would be if there was no holdout weirdness and he ends up playing 17 games, which I still think is the now, is it 50%? Is it 40%? Is it 30%? I'm not quite sure. But I think the most likely scenario is that week one, Jonathan Taylor is the starting running back for the Indianapolis Colts and then, you know, take it from there. What do you think? So... I've always had Derrick Henry ranked ahead of Jonathan Taylor anyways, like even before any JT news. So that's kind of where I stand on that one for one. But I did drop Jonathan Taylor down a tier uh, to those with those other running backs. I mentioned Brees Hall, T Higgins, uh, or not T Higgins, um, Joe Mixon, who doesn't even go in that range, but I think he should be put in that range. It's still odd. His ADP doesn't rise that much. Um, and, And a handful of others. But that's still not the dead zone, right? Like, then we get into the the Najee Harris, the Travis Etienne, even the Kenneth Walker. We'll get there in a minute. Like, those are the guys we should be trying to avoid in that ADP range. But for Jonathan Taylor, I I had him behind Derrick Henry this entire time and Tony Pollard and Nick Chubb, uh, all because of the target share we're arguing for him. Just the opportunity with a mobile and rookie quarterback. Ben Gretsch, J.J. Zacharyson is, have already done the work for us uh, on stealing signals and J.J.'s free newsletter about RPOs and trying to – and which offenses can cater a higher target shares if you do have running – if you have RPOs and mobile quarterbacks. And we're expecting that, obviously, to be the case in Indianapolis with both Anthony Richardson and Shane Steichen since the Eagles were – top two in back-to-back years, and RPOs run. Uh, And we saw via JJ's expanded work from Gretsch was that, yes, if you are a over 
20% RPO team of over 20% of your plays, then 50% of the time to 20% target share, lots of percentages there. But if you are that range of RPOs, then half the time, two 20% target share players come out of your offense. And then we go to fantasy points data since they just launched their new sweet tool and everyone likes throwing around that first read target share number. I have no idea yet, like ESPN Open Score, like EPA, if it matters for fantasy. If anything, EPA, I think, is terrible for fantasy points. It's not correlating or matching up anytime you look, especially at quarterback performances for fantasy points. But if we're using these new stats and just trying things out, then we also see that out of the top 100 players, and this makes sense, that obviously not one single running back is it is your first read option. You got to get to backup wide receivers, backup tight ends, before you get to a running back who has a high target share and an RPO offense. Thus, not only the mobile quarterback situation we worry about for JT, but we just also worry about his volume. So I wanted to be behind on Taylor. But since I had him ranked there already, the rooms are now adjusting for me given this dip. And so, okay, I'm not having to reach at the first, second turn or what I personally considered reaching for JT anymore. Now I'm getting where I want to get him. It's kind of the same for Josh Jacobs. I was behind on Josh Jacobs because that volume historically has just not added up. Uh, only five running backs, Jacobs included, over the last decade have totaled over 390 plus touches. And then the four other running backs the last decade, it's a small sample, but Le'Veon Bell included, the next year they played, Le'Veon Bell, of course, held out and played the following year. But the next year they played, the other four didn't reach 237 touches. I'm assuming because they were just piled on so many goddamn touches that they crumbled into the earth's core. Derrick Henry, of course, the anomaly. Maybe it is the year to get off Derrick Henry. But Josh Jacobs, JT, these are guys that were fading anyways. But now you don't have to because they go so late and we're going to have a lot of exposure. So now is when we take our chances since – the room has given us discounts. I mean, does that make sense? Does that it, answer it, your question? So it does. It does make sense, right? <clears throat> because to actually very similar to the wide receivers going around him, mm-hmm. you have to project weirdness in one direction. So one, you would have to project the Colts just being more efficient on offense than the market is expecting. Like they just have longer drives, more scoring drives. The team scores 19 rushing touchdowns and they're distributed equitably between Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor, or for Anthony Richardson to throw more to a running back than you would expect a guy of his archetype. So this would be something like how, Oh, running quarterbacks don't throw to running backs. Right. I mean, this was always uh this was a Christian McCaffrey, Cam Newton thing. And then, of course, he just threw to Christian McCaffrey ton because that was designed in the offense. Or if you want to get even more niche, the Mark Ingram, the fucking 2019 Mark Ingram season. I'll never get over it because I didn't have any of him. I was all aboard Justice Hill, and Mm -hmm. I just saw it play out in front of me where Justice Hill could have been getting all these touchdowns, but it went to 97-year-old Mark Ingram instead. My thought would be, Jonathan Taylor basically gets there by running hot on touchdowns. That is that is how it happens, right? He scores more long ones than you would think. And the the zone reads start to go his way. Basically, it would just be the read option plays in the red zone just go his way, that the ends are not crashing, that these splits – because this is something we saw with the Eagles too, right? The, the first Jalen Hurts season, Miles Sanders, no one wants him. He's a huge piece of shit. And then it just goes Miles Sanders' way. 
in 2021, you know, or, or in 2022, like that's, it's really as simple as it gets. So it's, it's mostly, I think, touchdown variants that will drive. Did Jonathan Taylor have a successful season? Did he not? And I think another way to put it, and maybe this is how you somewhat phrase it the first time you talked about it is that we don't want to take, we're all, we're all not trying to take these wide receivers who are bundled up anyways. We can poke holes in every single one, DK and Debo. Although I like both, we can poke holes in them. That's why I can't put them in the same tier as a Chris Olave because they're just different players um, with red flags actually. And so we're only taking them, as you mentioned, because we feel like we have to. But now, given the dips in JT and Jacobs and a couple others, Brees Hall, since the concerns are they'll sign Dalvin Cook, now we don't have to take the players we don't want to. That's always fun. We could instead take players that, you know, we're going in the second and first, second round turn. That makes these situations so much better. So, yes, that's the kind of variance we should be taking advantage of all the time right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with that, right? Anytime you are forced to take a guy you don't like, it doesn't feel good. So taking and- a guy... That you and do now, like feels nice. And now we can let that tier we didn't want to take fall another round and then take it. And then more importantly, that also gets us off the next tier of guys that we didn't want to take either. Like we no one's tried to take Kenneth Walker, Alexander Madison, Miles Sanders, like that tier. Uh, we were only doing it because we were being probably overconfident in our ability to guess three down running backs. And so that's the only reason we were taking them if we even were. Um, otherwise, you had to take Kadarius Tony and bet on that kind of player. So yeah, I think honestly, it just made drafting easier what's going on right now. Okay, let's do the Denver Broncos, Tim Patrick, second consecutive year, season ending leg injury. Now, KJ Hamler has been waived with a non football illness designation. Mm-hmm. Team says they want to bring him back, but I think, I just don't think you can count on him being in the week sure. one wide receiver rotation. Maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe they'll figure it out and. He'll get this uh, uh, pericarditis solved or whatever. I mean, you know, happens all the time. But where it looked like, oh, Cortland Sutton might be losing snaps to Tim Patrick. Oh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for Marvin Mims to get on the field because they have all these talented wide receivers and they got to play Dulcich and Alberto's still on the team. Now, what is standing in the way of of Marvin Mims being a starting wide receiver week one? You know, Lil, Lil Jordan Humphrey, uh, Mar- Marquez Callaway, like, I, I think that, and Marvin Mims was already a popular, uh, you know, fantasy football cabal pick. I think Pete has like 35% of him in Best Ball mm. Mania 4. So I like that. how are, uh, what is your reaction to this? Is it take Sutton more often? Is it Judy's floor is way safer now? What is your, what is your response to the combination Tim Patrick injury, uh, KJ Hamler waving? I'm pulling up because I did, since I manually curate my tournament rankings, I want to see where I pushed Mims up to. Uh, so I pushed Mims up to, he was 165 ADP. I pushed him up to 135 around Jonathan Mingo, Zay Jones, Darnell Mooney, Van Jefferson. Does that sound right? Or do we need to get higher on Mims? Because I agree with you. The only thing standing in his way now is how much does Sean Payton love Marcus Callaway? Because Peyton did make Callaway a wide receiver three, a top 36 option the last time they played together a couple years ago. Other than that, though, Mims, especially in best ball, maybe we get him wrong and redraft. It's probably a different discussion. But in best ball, just like Jalen Hyatt, we don't have to pick the weeks to start or set him. Uh, Like 95% of his career touchdowns in college were on targets 20 yards deep. 
That's the kind of player I want in best ball where I don't have to worry about his redraft status. And so the big winners were really Mims and Greg Dulcich. Dulcich, I also moved up a tier into the Njoku, Fryermuth, Evan Ingram range because now Dulcich has a much clearer path to targets and what I previously thought was a more wide open target tree ahead of the Dalton Schultz, uh, Chigo Conquos, Dalton Kincaids of the world. I think that I think that was my big response as well. I think I was already kind of take, taking Sutton. I was already taking Mims. I actually think I'll probably get priced out of Mims now. Mm-hmm. Where I think he'll, you know, he'll. I think he'll probably start to go ahead of like Gallup. Start to go ahead of like Rondell Moore. I like both of those guys better. I like Jacoby Myers more. I think like, he should go about that range where you mentioned Nico Collins, one fifteen. I honestly think Mims is kind of the perfect fit there, but that also means since we've loaded our bags, just like the Alexander Madison deal, loading our bags in the eighth round, uh, we can no longer take Mims when he jumps three or four rounds. Uh, we, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that, I think that sounds, um, I think that sounds about right. Uh, okay. Let's see who is next. I know, I know we got more here. Oh, we did. We did touch on, Taylor, yes, but also I'm still drafting Zach Moss in the last round because broken arm, six weeks. We have seven weeks till the season. So I I guess maybe he misses one or two weeks at most, but it's not like it's anything to his legs. So we're not worrying about any re-aggravation. Uh, simply a broken arm and can he take hits? And I would imagine it's enough time matching up with this timeline that he's out there as the team starting running back if Taylor can't turn around. So I still don't mind taking Moss in the last couple of rounds. Do you so you think you think he's like for sure ahead of Evan Hole in in this scenario? Oh, I think Deion Jackson's ahead of Evan Hole. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I don't mind Evan Hole. Like, we're just taking shots play. anyways. Yeah. Deion Jackson did play um quite a bit last year. So I think I think and, that's probably and his right. skill set is one that, you know, we want to be targeting in the last round since he is strictly a pass catching back. Yes. All right. Dalvin Cook visiting the Jets. Says uh, says he uh, he went to go get pizza at a place in New York, and a guy stopped him and said, "Oh man, if you sign with the Jets, we'll be a, we'll be a Super Bowl contender." So I don't really care about Dalvin Cook. I'm not really interested in taking him uh, no. really anywhere he signs at this cost. Now make him 30 picks cheaper. We'll change. I, I might change my mind, but the probably Aaron Rodgers renegotiated his contract with this in mind with at least partially, right? He wants to play with Dalvin cook. He wants to play with guys. He knows guys he thinks are good. Brees Hall is coming back from this ACL injury. He's apparently not cutting laterally yet, but looks really good running in a straight line. There was that report that he was running 23 miles an hour in a straight line. Are, are, I, I was afraid to draft Brees Hall anyways at, at such an elevated cost in a way that I wasn't for Javante Williams. Hmm. Uh, explain that one. Why were you concerned? Just because of the associated cost. If if I could take Brees Hall um, where Kenneth Walker is going, 10, 15 mm-hmm. picks cheaper, if I could take him instead of Najee, I could take him instead. Uh, I mean, that whole tier of dead zone guys, James Conner, Rashad yeah. White, those guys, I mean, I would have 30% Brees Hall or whatever at, at those prices. But I'm enough concerned about his early season availability. And now specifically with cook, I wouldn't have felt this way about Kareem hunt or, or Fournette or whoever, but with Dalvin cook specifically, I would be worried that it's just sort of a multiple running back backfield to a degree that it's going to be hard for Brees to pay off at. Well, I think he's running back 11 right now. 
And so I, I have, I mean, I wasn't ever really taking it, but I really am not taking Brees Hall all that often now with these, uh, with these reports. So the only reason I was taking was because the, uh, what do they call themselves? Fantasy therapists, the Twitter doctors, but professionally fantasy therapists. Uh, they have suggested that even the third round ADP mid end of third round for Brees Hall is too low because as we know, Every torn ACL and recovery is a case-by-case basis. And Brees Hall is not only earlier than Javante Williams, but significantly less gnarly. Like, not one we should actually worry about. Not to mention that, you know, as much as I may like Izzy Abanacanda as a prospect, like, he's still a day three guy. I'm not really too concerned about him. They already showed last year that they hate Michael Carter. They showed him the year before, too. But uh, the yeah. Michael Carter, his first two years, he either had to have Tevin Coleman injured. Literally, he was splitting backfield touches. Go back and look at the touches with Tevin Coleman. Um, or, like, last year, when Zonovan Knight was active in seven games with Michael Carter – uh, night out touched Carter six of those seven. Like they just do not care about Michael Carter. So it's not a player we're worried about whatsoever. Thus, I think the competition, it was pretty easy for Brees Hall to just fall right back into touches after a slow first month, I would guess at most. But as you mentioned, now we don't even have to take a chance. I still don't mind, but we don't have to take a chance on Dalvin potentially signing there because we have Jonathan Taylor in that range now. We have Josh Jacobs holdout backing up in that range. So then, and then we can instead just say, okay, I have these guys instead of taking my chances on Brees Hall, maybe getting blocked a little bit by Dalvin Cook. All I know about Cook right now, again, like you, I'm not taking him. His ADP is the hardest to figure out, actually, in main events. Like, I'm in a slow main event right now. I got my fast one. I'm in the first live one on Friday night. Very excited to take part in that one. But, like, his ADP is wild because we just don't know, man. We're out here drafting for a million bucks, and we don't fucking know. All we know, all I'm basing it on, is the great Crack Rock, our friend, who actually has sources, for some reason, at the Yacht Club in New York, uh, inside of New York's, Jets and Giants front offices. And his last report was, yes, the Jets are offering $5 million up front, like one year, $5 million to Dalvin Cook, which makes sense. That's the right contract on this running back market. But Cook's team wants $15 million guaranteed. And the Jets are obviously like, we got a long way to go. So that's all I know right now. I still don't mind taking Brees Hall, but like you said, we don't have to anymore. And that's good. All right. Seattle running backs. Charbonnet, shoulder. Kenneth Walker groin my gut reaction was shoulder it's just, you're just going to be out longer and it's not good for a rookie to miss training camp for any reason they just miss mm-hmm. out on a lot of stuff groin less serious you're going to be able to come back faster but you're going to have a higher occurrence of re-injury you're just going to you're going to tweak it more often my priors were that I loved both of these guys at their cost anyway like I have a hard time seeing uh one of them is really going to pay off. I don't know which one. I don't know how exactly it's going to play out, but I feel like the fact that they both exist is just, you know, obviously impacting the median projection for the other. Like if Kenneth Walker, I mean, Kenneth Walker really didn't play on passing downs at all last year anyway. So you could argue that Sharps could have a little bit of standalone, you know, sort of, sort of a uh, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary bills situation mm-hmm. actually. But I actually feel, I mean, for example, had, Charbonnet got in this shoulder injury and Kenneth Walker was getting best shape of his life stuff. You know, he was all still like, I think you could, I think he could have really been steamed up and this groin injury is going to keep that from happening. What is Daigle's reaction? 
I actually moved and it sucks because uh, like the NFL draft most recently where everyone was very high on Will Levis to number two and I kind of pieced it all together and I hated saying it out loud. I did on a couple shows, but I pieced it all together and was like, no, like I understand I'm on an island, but Levis at number two does not make any sense from all the information I'm gathering, the same sources as y'all. Um, like that, I did tweet it out. But I kind of hated it because you don't you don't like being on an island by yourself. It just makes you feel uncomfortable when all your friends are just trying to, you know, pack their bags as well. But I actually moved Kenneth Walker up based yeah. on the news, uh, which seems contrarian. But what based on just solely based on what Pete Carroll said, and maybe he's wearing, you know, rose colored glasses. Maybe he is making everything a lot more friendlier as well, he, he tends to do he, with injuries. He always does. Yeah. Yes. As he tends to do. I understand that. But based on what he said. Kenneth Walker is precautionary. Like the, the quote was literally, we just don't want to aggravate it during the preseason. Um, so we're going to bring them along slowly. They're basically just taking them off the field. So nothing happens because they understand we have a full seven weeks left. There's no rush to get this right. Whereas Zach Charbonnet, the exact quote was out indefinitely and they weren't sure. And they're they need to look into it more. Maybe that means nothing. Maybe Charbonnet's back in a few weeks, and we just go right back to their ADPs. But right now, the only information we have is that Walker's is less serious, and Charbonnet's we don't know. Thus, that tells me now I want to be on Walker ahead of it. Uh, ADP 52 previously, I genuinely still think you don't have to since he's dipping. But like he should, he should still go around pick 50 overall because even if we get a couple of missed weeks of Charbonnet – Maybe there's a re-aggravation. We don't know the extent of it yet. So I'm still all in. Well, not still. I am now all in on Kenneth Walker. Yeah. I, I mean, I love I love that response because I have a lot of Kenneth Walker. I have a lot of Charbonnet too, but that feels uh I mean, I guess it's sort of the same bet it always was, which is that he just plays more. He ter really turns on in the second I've half been, of the season. I've been referencing last year's situation with it as Kenneth Walker is a shod penny and not that Kenneth Walker's injury prone or whatever, but it takes one domino to fall. And suddenly Zach Charbonnet is an absolute monster in fantasy. Like I, I try to always put a blocker in between myself after the draft because everyone then runs and takes rookies. They don't even know what they're doing. They're just, they're just fucking get rookie fever and they run in and go. Um, but like Zach Charbonnet, I may be biased, but Zach Charbonnet is fucking awesome. Like he is so, so good. A five-star prospect, the highest recruited prospect in Jim Harbaugh's 2019 offense. Everyone references Jameer Gibbs, the best receiving back in the draft. And that probably is the case. And Jameer Gibbs obviously got the important draft capital, but Charbonnet averaged more catches per game, 4.1, than Jameer Gibbs last year, 3.6 with Alabama. Like Charbonnet is the truth. And so I always wanted to treat Ken Walker as more of a, like I treat Odo Beck. I just wanted to kind of treat him as he's there, but he's a roadblock because like, can he withstand a better player behind him? I don't know if Charbonnet's better, but he, he has, in my opinion, a better pedigree than Ken Walker. So uh, I like both of them and I'll still continue taking both of them. I'm curious where Charbonnet drops to. He was around 102, 105 last I checked. He's probably going to get to 115, 120. And I kind of reckon that tier to Jalen Warren, like the 135 tier. It's like, okay, do I like you more than Jalen Warren still? That's when we need to start changing tiers. I I think that's I think that is a pretty good tier break. Um, I'm I'm pretty in line with that. I mean, I just don't I just don't really want to be I just don't really want to be taking him right now. I'll, I'll let I'll let someone assume that risk until we get another update. Plus, uh, okay. 
Kenneth ahead. Walker stacks with Geno Smith are fun because we all need to continue finding ways to stack Geno. And the most obvious one True. is waiting at the turn with Lockett, JSN back to back. Um, but you can now make Ken Walker in that range. And then you only have to take one of Lockett JSN and don't ask me which one I'm, I am literally mixing it up. I'm trying to have the flattest exposure possible to all three, even DK, because I understand like he had a career high in targets and led the entire league in end zone targets four more, but had a career low in touchdowns. It's coming back to earth. Uh, having said that, of course, JSN can, basically be better than Metcalf, even though we are treating it as if JSN can only be better than Lockett, even though Lockett has basically always been better than Metcalf for fantasy the last two years they've played together. So it's an odd situation. I'm literally just flatting it. And I'm saying, I don't know, but we're getting all of you with Gino. I think, I think, honestly, I think that makes sense. I, I think that, I think that's a pretty strong way to play it. Uh, all right. We got to do, we got to do the Kincaid. We got to do the Kincaid stuff. Uh, the athletics, Joe Buscaglia, Who's pretty good at this stuff? He is one of the. I think he is one of the better. Oh, he's great. Beat he's writers. I, I think he really covers this stuff well. Uh, he quote unquote has looked the part. He has remained a consistently targeted asset by Josh Allen and the first team offense, making himself available and completing sizable gains during eleven on eleven looks. Sounds really good. Very easy to throw out your priors that the Bills don't really like to play rookies that Dawson Knox doesn't have an out on his contract until next offseason, that Dawson Knox has paid quite a bit of money, that Deontay Hardy is the second highest paid Bills wide receiver, that, you know, there, there are a lot of things keeping Dalton Kincaid off the field that it's hard to remember when you hear breathless reports about how good he looks at camp. The way I've been phrasing it, because I don't know, uh, you know, Knox led this class with, a 55% slot rate in college. And I would imagine that's why the Bills leaped the Cowboys and prioritized it was as a slot receiver. But the way I've been phrasing it really isn't even about Dalton Kincaid as a person. Uh, it is, can you imagine, can you imagine drafting Tyler Higbee or Dalton Schultz over Dalton Kincaid? I think that's really what we're asking ourselves. Like the range of outcomes, those two are we assume are safe, but there's still so many red flags in their game where at least we get a slot receiver from Josh Allen who plays tight end. So I've been taking them. I have no idea what else to do with them. My own, my only pushback is that we should still stay high on Dawson Knox, even though a lot of people aren't still around roughly 180 ADP. And if we think Kincaid is a slot player, which they've pretty much been using him as such, then Knox stays in in line and nothing changes. He's still the starting tight end, and he still this has the second most end zone targets of any tight end the last two years just behind Mark Andrews. So he's still, uh, like a Hunter Henry, he's still a weekly, potentially like two-touchdown option who just explodes and wins that position that week all because he had multi-touchdowns. So you can we can take both. It's okay. I think, I mean, I think that's fair. I was really out on Kincaid when he was like a 10th, 11th round pick. Yep. I'm, I'm way more into him now. Um, you know, going around like Chig and a lot of these guys who have pretty similar ranges of outcomes and don't play in as good of offenses. I'm, I'm totally fine with Kincaid now. Was, was, he was, you know, he was, he was going expensive. ahead. Yeah, he was going ahead of Njoku and Fryermuth. And like, I love Fryermuth. I think Fryermuth's the one in FFPCs I think is really slipping, uh, especially if we're trying to, run these like Steeler stacks 
cross our I, fingers I took, and I took hope Pat for the Fryermuth. best. I took Pat Fryermuth in my first um in my first slow main event. We took him. I haven't had I haven't I haven't had the courage to do it yet. I'm trying to like wake up every morning and whisper to myself, Fryermuth is a better option than Kyle Pitts and like slowly move him up in the rankings. I haven't had the courage to do it yet though. So maybe one of these weeks. That's uh look, that's a lot. Right. I know that is, uh, I'm still whispering a... to myself. It hasn't happened yet, but I want I, it to see. Happen. I, I like Kyle Pitts. I, I think Kyle Pitts is, is one of the better picks on the board. I think he's my third most drafted tight end. Um, they, they can't pass any less literally cannot the, the lowest, the, the lowest pass play rate from neutral gain script in the last 12 years. They cannot pass less. They can't pass any less. And Ritter could be dog shit and he can't really be worse than Mariota was. And you got out to Taylor Heineke playing who is not very good at winning games, but was good enough to make John Dotson, Terry McLaurin uh, way. I mean, you really want to go back in time. Logan Thomas has been playable with Taylor Heineke as his quarterback. Like it's enough to keep the offense on track and at Kyle Pitts's price tag, 55 receptions, 800 yards and five touchdowns is actually a win just sounds like a pretty mediocre stat line because it is, but there's a, <laughs> no denying. I mean, and I think Waller is a huge win too. It's why I don't really take mm-hmm. Taylor or Goddard hardly ever. Uh, I mean, those guys both just look like such great picks to me. I do have Waller over Pitts for sure. Um, the only thing is, it. the only thing yeah. is, you know, rankings, th- like they only help to show how I view players, but then you have to enact ADP to them. And so Waller, like 80, Pitts 55 to 60, Thus, like the rankings don't matter because then that just means I'm waiting, you know, two rounds for Waller instead. Um, yeah, I think so. It's a double edged sword because Desmond Ritter was as bad as Marcus Mariota last year. Like, even over that last month, uh, you know, out of quarterbacks with 100 dropbacks, Ritter had the lowest uncatchable rate. So, the same thing everyone's arguing about Kyle Pitch is. Pitts' inaccurate targets, it's it's at least last year. Maybe he develops. I don't know. He's a third-round rookie, or he's a third-round quarterback. I, I don't really have much faith. But maybe he develops and gets better, and those ca- targets do become more catchable. What we do know, though, is at least, like, they bumped everything up with Ritter. Only a month sample, but even, like, 57 plays per game went to 66. That 45% neutral pass rate went to 50%. Like, everything went up a hair more to be league average, to be respectable, as opposed to pretty much just trying to hide Marcus Mariota for the entire time he was under center. The only thing is I would rather, and I'm betting on Drake London because of how drafts work out. Like I'd much rather have my second or third wide receiver in that range than get my tight end done, especially if I'm banking on Kyle Pitts or David Njoku since Deshaun Watson still falls and it's still like probably the bottom of the Trevor Lawrence tier, maybe even ahead of Trevor Lawrence. But like that's, I just think drafts work out better having Drake London in that slot instead of Kyle Pitts. So that's the only reason I am prioritizing London over Pitts right now. So I think, I mean, I I don't even disagree with the logic. It's just that London is eligible at wide receiver where there are 50 dudes who can score more than him. And Pitts is eligible at tight end where he can like kind of suck and still be good for fantasy. You know, like that's that's really, that's really Totally Hurts could only, outscore totally him, but yes. yeah, like, but yeah, they could be the same. You're right. He could, he could kill me. Absolutely. Um, and also Ritter, I did, I did come in 
the same line of thinking with you is that this dude is absolutely getting benched. But the Falcons' run out is so fucking good. Like that team is going to have 11 wins and win their division. They actually play like a Warren Sharp schedule. They play the worst set of opposing offenses throughout the year. So whatever we think of their defense, they're still in the worst conference. They're in the worst division in that conference. And then also to bring over like a, a guy like Ryan Nielsen, who then a DC, who then goes out and gets his guys and like David Onyemata, they pay, they pay three years, 21 million to Caden Ellis, middle linebacker who could actually wear the green dot and call plays. Um, uh, Jesse Bates is the best run defending safety in the entire league. Like they made some splash moves on defense against the worst slate of opposing offenses too. So it just seems like they will be too good to bench Ritter even if they, even if he's bad, it would have to be the Tyra Taylor Bill situation where like McDermott inexplicably benched them when they were when they were winning the division. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's definitely that's my worry. Yeah, and and they they could just I mean, look, they could just you know absolutely run the piss out of the ball, like yeah. and and it just none of this none of this even matters. But that is that was um part of my. And we're thinking. still drafting Tyler Algier, by the way. Uh, oh, we do not sure. we do not forget about Tyler Algier around that 140-145. The Falcons RB2 last year every weekly averaged 10 touches behind the starter and the way they're using Bijan, it's going to get figured out, you know, it's the running backs as wide receivers is all bullshit, but I don't think I've ever seen Bijan carry the ball in camp. I've only seen highlights only of him seen running it, against yes. linebackers, yeah. And if that's the case, that's great for Tyler Algier. Like, let's get Tyler Algier 12 to 15 carries per game since he was good at that as well. 120 yards from scrimmage over his last five starts as a winner in best ball. So we keep drafting Tyler Algier no matter what the hell they do with Bijan. Yes, I I, uh, I 100%, I 100% agree with that. Um, all right, Jamison Williams. Every report, every Jamison Williams report is like, Oh, he can't fucking do this. Oh, the guy yeah. can't get open in camp. The guy's dropping all these passes. The guy, yada, yada. He he had one catch as a rookie. It went for a 40-yard touchdown. He's suspended for gambling. I just, I don't know. Really, I don't know what to make of him because the prior should be, oh, they traded up for him. He was a first-round pick. This is like this is the total archetype of guy I want to be taking all the time on my fantasy teams. On the other hand, every update that we get about him is bad. We've not gotten not gotten one. Oh, he totally looks like he's going to pay off. They're so ready for him to come back from the suspension. He adds a vertical element that this offense is. But you know, we got we got nothing good. So where are we at on Jamison Williams? I'm not worrying about it yet, but when we think about, you know, recovering from a torn ACL and then returning for that one catch and only 37 routes last year, he is basically a year and a half removed from football. So I don't think it's surprising that he's just knocking the rust off. Really what it comes down to is, are you drafting Josh Reynolds, Marvin Jones? Are you taking these dudes behind him in the last I, round? I am taking Josh Reynolds. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, Maybe Josh Reynolds is the starter there through those first six games. I still think there's a chance Marvin Jones is. I have no idea if Denzel Mims like even makes the team, even though we're going to be playing him in preseason DFS for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think Jamison Williams' ADP should move that much because we know what we're betting on. We don't expect him. Well, maybe some do, that, but that would be ignorant since all we ever do is try to give Amon Ross St. Brown's targets to other players. We've done this now for two years. 
Uh, the last month of the season, everyone's injured. That's what they say. Amon Ross St. Brown can't earn those targets. He comes back last year. Uh, all he does is dominate T.G. Hawkinson in targets. T.G. Hawkinson gets traded. Jameson Williams comes back. All Monra does is dominating targets. And then even when they traded Hawkinson, they gave a Monraw seven carries. They gave him a carry in seven consecutive games just because that's how important he is. Like they need him to get the ball because he's the most important player in that offense. So I don't want to give a Monraw St. Brown targets to Jamison, but the way he's going to win, um, you know, with the last time we saw him actually at Alabama, he had four touchdowns of 70 yards. Uh, like that's the way he's going to win the NFL as well. So he's going to be a top 12 wide receiver some weeks. And maybe he's like Christian Watson where he doesn't score a touchdown. His floor is miserable, but we're still stacking eight or nine receivers around him. So the reason we're drafting him, I think that ADP over 100 is totally fine since he will still win some weeks for you. I think, I mean, so I was taking him early because it was like such a wide receiver dead zone. And I still take him in Dallas, Detroit stuff on mm -hmm. underdog and on DraftKings, but I, I did the, the, I just am getting, there's, this is, there's nothing scientific about this. I'm getting bad vibes from Jamison Williams. I'm just getting, I'm <laughs> the getting quantifiable the, bad vibes. This is the meanest thing I could ever say about a wide receiver prospect, but I'm uh -huh. getting John Baldwin, AJ Jenkins vibes from, from him, which is right. really That's not really good mean. vibes. Yeah. It's really mean, but that is, uh, that is the vibe. That is the vibe that but I'm the, getting. But the, the issue is he can't fall. Well, do you think he can fall past Nico Collins? Because like, I think for even in drafting, like I like Zay Jones, like we, we try to find the Zay Jones, the best ball, right? Someone with a last year, Zay Jones had a 175 ADP, but he was starting in two wide receiver sets with an elevating and developing quarterback. That's, that's what makes the Zay Jones a best ball this year. Uh, one, the Zay Jones, the best ball this year is Zay Jones still like you can't have three top eight finishes of your last over the last two months of the season, like from week 13 on, and not matter, even if Calvin Ridley's there. So we should still be banking on Zay Jones. But in my opinion, like Jameson Williams can't fall back that far. Like maybe you say, okay, Nico Collins is a better pick than Jameson. But even that's just 115 ADP, and Jameson has consistently been going around 100, 105. So even if he drops, he can't drop far given the next tier of guys behind him. He just can't do that because then Jameson, you'd be taking him anyways because he's just better than that group of players. I, I, well, okay, that I agree with, right? I mean, just like theoretically, this suspension didn't exist. He probably is a fifth round pick, I would think. Fifth or, yeah. you know, right around the, the Brandon Ayuk Godwin range. Yes, actually, yeah, that's probably dead on. So, and considering that what, what we want is a lot of fucking points in the back half of the season during the three week sprint. I don't know. Maybe I should be taking him. Maybe I should revert. Maybe I should undo these bad vibes in my it head. It just, if it comes down to you asking yourself, like, have you fall so far where you're saying, do I take Jamison or like Jonathan Mingo or Rondell Moore? The so only if he was, if he was 10 spots cheaper, I'd probably, he'd probably be like yeah. my third most drafted wide receiver. Like I can't even take Juju over him. Uh, and there, there have been somewhat good reports lately out of, out of camp about Juju after he returned from that knee injury. But I, I can't do that because in what weeks will Juju win? I, I don't know. It might be more consistent, but I'm banking on the archetype of Jameson for sure over the next year. So I just can't imagine he falls that much. Or if he does, it, I, I think it's incorrect. Okay, there we go. Uh, all right, let's, let's end it. Let's end it with this. Joe Burrow, calf strain. We got fucking Trevor Simeon throwing passes for all training camp. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I mean, do we care? Is this is this a nothing? Is this something? What do you got? This has got this has got to this has got to be the thing that made you the most mad. Like, why are we talking about this? You know what makes me the most mad is that I have been on Cooper Cup, and I could be wrong, but I've been on Cooper Cup over Jamar Chase as my second overall player off the board all offseason long. And now what's happening is the fucking plebes are coming out and drafting Cooper Cup over Jamar Chase just because of this Joe Burrow injury that I'm not worrying about. That's the irony in all of it. Now I'm just pissed off because people are in my lane and not even for the reasons I'm giving. They're just in my lane now because of Trevor Simeon. That's stupid. Uh, you shouldn't worry about Joe Burrow. In fact, I've actually been upping my drafts lately because I'm trying to get the Joe Burrow dip. And you can I've get only... you can get third round T and fifth round Burrow now. Add in add in fourth and fifth round Joe Mixon too. But just add him to the pass catching group. That's fine. And if that's the way we need to play it, that's cool too. Uh, Irv Smith, actually, I don't even like Irv Smith, but Irv Smith is now falling like 30 spots compared to his ADP. So again, if you're trying to sneak, sneaky stack Joe Burrow, just because he's the one dipping, there are unique ways to go about it. So yes, I'm just trying to find my exposure to Joe Burrow within this two or three week window before we get the first positive report. I don't even know how serious, like, I don't think it's serious, first of all. And then all the fantasy therapists also said they aren't worried about it. It's just a calf strain. We have seven weeks. He's going to be just fine by week one. Joe Burrow is obviously the type of player that they would hold out purposely because this doesn't matter this time of the year. What matters is week one and everything else. So no, start pounding drafts and take him. The worst I've seen so far, and I tweeted it, was 64 overall. Joe Burrow. Can you imagine Joe Burrow falling to the sixth round? And that's what happened. It was wild. Feels good. It'd feel very no, good that's, to get. That's why you need to jump in dress right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's actually great advice. That is what, that is uh, how we should end it on is that if there is a guy you like, who is the topic of the day in a negative way, and it could be for any reason, right? There's a report going around right now that Tyquan Thornton is sucking shit at Patriots camp and that he can't get open and that Kendrick Bourne is playing better than him. So if you like Tyquan Thornton, hop in some drafts today. He's going to be cheaper. If you are really loving to build Bengal stacks, it's a good time to draft. If you really like Charbonnet, good time to fire some drafts right now because you're going to get him much cheaper than you know, a hundred thousand other people who've already drafted him this off season. We had debates and questions about Joe Burrow over Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. And the best part is we don't have that have that debate right now. Joe Burrow didn't move back a rank in ranking. He didn't move back a tier, but his ADP moved back. So the title of the show, start fucking drafting. Well, there we go. Um, all right, Daigle, tell the people what, you how they can okay tell the people what they get on four for four what they get on bet spurts where to listen to the podcast where to listen to the shows how to check out the fantasy football happy hour all that good stuff everything's happening right now my team preview started running um just on monday i should have the entire nfc north up by wednesday morning for everyone and then i will have jets and browns up before they kick off on thursday just to get their regular season outlook and you can check that all out at 444.com right now use the promo code daigle and you'll get 10 percent off that's where my rankings are that's where my tiers are where i'm consistently updating um and yeah it's it's fun it, like the first i probably should have picked a, a different free one because the first team preview is always free to just show an example of everyone what they're getting and then of course i picked the vikings and um I don't know if you're on this opinion, but I think what's happening to the Vikings this year is they're rebuilding. Like they're quietly shedding all this 
veteran impact money. And thus, even Vegas sees, you know, after you go 11 and 0 in one score games, and now you have the eighth toughest schedule, and you're projected against the second toughest schedule of opposing the offenses with worst defensive pieces. What happens is you get an eight and a half win total because last year's 13 wins don't matter and they're going to crash back to earth. And so, like, I actually think the best way to bet the Vikings this year is the alt under, like under seven and a half, under six and a half at plus money, especially on the last year of Kirk Cousins' contract. That doesn't mean we go away from Justin Jefferson, but TG Hawkins and Alexander Madison, I think, are fucking trapped. So you can check that all out there. Beautiful. All right, everyone, make sure that you are following at not Jay Daggle, that you are subscribed to four for four, that you're watching the fantasy football happy hour and that uh, you keep scooping up all these great discounts. I will be back later in the week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.